Hello? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Can you hear Beautiful. me, Clem Fandango? <laughs> it feels like it's been forever since we've chatted. It has been a long time, hasn't it? <laughs> I missed you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Back to the bin. You've got the older book, so I do have the older book and I have the Marvel, so we should jump into this. And hello everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro. And as is not the usual case, today I have got Professor Allen with me. Hello. Hello. It's good to have you here. It's been a little while since you've been on now. Always, Uh, always good to be back. It's always good to have you back. And, you know, we'll we'll be cordial for now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's no point in throwing the insults each other's way right now. And I know, you know, you were trying to get a third person, but, uh, you know, Luke Giaconetti, I talked to him. He said he's washing his hair tonight it's it's uh, you know i have this image in my mind running he's just running somewhere i'm not sure where he, yeah I, I called and he said i'm gonna go run now i'm not sure how to how to take that um <laughs> i i create this image in my mind it's it's like basically my life is a sitcom the way i, I picture these things so like as you're saying that you know because I, I go back to the days when you were desperately wanting to be the uh to be on the show when that, when that was the big joke. So this, so then you're going through, yeah, I know Luke couldn't make it. And then, you know, we flashed to Luke tied up in the, in your closet somewhere, <laughs> gagged and bound. Then, you know, then Gene couldn't make it either. And I picture Gene in like quicksand. Yeah. The hair metal hero said something about the bachelor party. Isn't he getting married in like six weeks or something mm-hmm. like that? It's a, that seems like a long time for a bachelor party, but whatever. Look, I understand. He isn't too far <laughs> off from the uh, yeah, the nuptials. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and uh, you know, of course, we wish him the best of all worlds. Yes, yes, even, yes. Even though he's getting married. Uh, you know, it works for some of us. That's what I hear. Some <laughs> some of us it doesn't work quite as well. <laughs> well, with any luck, the second time will be the charm in certain areas. But anyway, that's as far as I'm getting into my personal status right now. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Scott and Bill are both uh, just dealing with really tough work schedules right now. And Professor Allen tricked me into coming on his show last night. I mean, he asked me to go on his show last night. <laughs> and I did so happily. And I don't know when that's going to air, but that was a lot of fun. And I said, how about we do it again? And after I slipped him something into his drink, he said yes. <laughs> that is, uh, that's the best way to get me to say yes. Wait a minute, that doesn't I, sound I, right. I get co-hosts the way Bill Cosby gets women. <laughs> <laughs> Based on your uh, talent and wealth? Uh, I have neither of those, so I have, do, yep. I have to do it by slipping you a Mickey. <laughs> I wonder where that term came from. Hmm. Is that now that one I don't know. You got me on that one. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's one you don't hear very often these days. But uh, that's what Bill Cosby did. 
<laughs> and he's now going to jail crazy. for it. He's like in his that 80s, is. and he's got like a 20-year jail sentence. So I'm thinking, uh, bye-bye, Bill. <laughs> yep. That That is that. Of of all of these things we've learned in the last few years, that that's one of the hardest to believe. Well, you know, it's... When you think about it, it, it just goes to show you, and obviously we're not talking comics right now, but uh, it just goes to show you that the public persona of these famous people is not to be trusted. You know, everybody's, oh, he's such a nice guy. No, no, his public persona is that he's a nice guy. It doesn't mean he really is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think, you know, we, we should have learned our lesson with O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Because he had one of the nice, you know, he was the save the cat guy. You remember, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they right. talk about, they talk about that in movies. That's become like, almost like, oh, Jump that's the right. Shark, right. Right. Uh, the save the cat moment. And that's from the movie towering Inferno when he was the security guard and he's walking through and he's checking the rooms and there's a cat sitting in the room and he almost misses it. But then you see him walking out with the cat in his arms. So he saved the cat. Uh, and now that has become code for, you know, humanizing your hero or, or giving your hero a moment of humanity. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's it's an interesting thing, but that was his public persona. And, you know, you, you put him in the Naked Gun movies and he's the lovable guy who keeps getting, you know, beat up or whatever. Uh, and uh, now it's, you know, it's, we find yes. out these aren't good people. Yeah. So anyway. And, on, and, on, and unfortunately, we have had a couple of examples of quite troublesome behavior, to say the least, from a couple of. Yeah, and, and what, I say, what I say, unfortunately, what I go with is if somebody has proven to you they're a bad guy publicly, they probably are. If, mm-hmm. the, if somebody proves to you they're a good guy publicly, there's a good chance you don't really know them. That's not yeah. to say they're not a good guy, but you don't really know. But you know. don't know. Unless, you know. unless you've had personal interactions with the person and, and know, you know, how they behave. And even then, you know, you, how many times have you heard, you know, stories about, oh, so-and-so, uh, you know, got divorced and the, the spouse was doing this and doing that. And you're like, Oh, always seemed like such a nice person. You know, that, that 45 seconds I spent talking to him at the con that one time. Yeah, exactly. Seemed really nice. So slipping a Mickey is apparently short for a Mickey Flynn and it's slang for a drink laced with a drug, especially chloral hydrate given to someone without their knowledge in order to incapacitate them. Serving somebody a Mickey Finn is most commonly referred to as slipping a Mickey, sometimes spelled slipping. Oh, they just spelled it different, but that's not a big deal. <laughs> so it doesn't, I'm just curious about where, you know, like how what old the derivation is. is. Yeah. Uh, Mickey Finn. I didn't know that. I just knew the slipping a Mickey. So, okay, Mickey Mickey Finn is most likely named after the manager and bartender at Lone Star Saloon and Palm Garden Restaurant, which operated in Chicago from 1896 to 1903 on South State Street in the Chicago Loop neighborhood. So that's, that is, you know, we're talking 115 years ago at the, at the most recent. So, I can't believe a good upstanding Midwestern man. Like Mickey Finn or something like I'm that. So, but that's that's where it comes from. In an episode the of things I Love you Lucy, learn on Back to the Bins. In an episode of I Love Lucy, Fred recommends Ricky slip Lucy a Mickey, <laughs> as he does to Ethel when she's bothering him. <laughs> so, you know, that's and that there's an example. Just reading that, there's an example of 
how certain things were deemed com- comedic years ago that just could not fly today. No. Nope, 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 nope. Uh, some for good. Some, you know, we... we We've lost a few humorous things along the, along our path to uh, to advancement. Yeah, well, I, I always point to the movie Blazing Saddles. There's probably oh, not absolutely. one. That movie is joke-filled throughout, but there's probably not one joke that I found funny that would be politically correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's some level of political incorrectness to everything. In, at least in that movie, which yes. unfortunately, you know, I, I'm i all for not being mean to people, but I also like humor, you know? I think people yeah. people, yeah. people have to not be quite so uptight. <laughs> and that's as far up that political, uh, <laughs> that political rabbit hole as, as I'm going to go. Our platform, loosen up a little, just yeah. a little. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's saying that, that people should be able to say things intentionally offensive. Unless it's for humor purposes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I had to pull back on that already. Because I realized in, in, like in Blazing Saddles, it is intentionally offensive. But it's not meant, it's not mean-spirited. It's meant yes, in right. humor. So, I don't know. I think we all need to lighten up a little bit on things. Anyway, if you disagree... Uh, send all email to the relatively geekly geeky podcast. I don't think that's right. Wait a minute. I don't <laughs> think that's right. <laughs> so we, we, I think we're going to jump right in today. We both picked books with, as you pointed out to me earlier in the day, somewhat similar creative teams, which is interesting. Yeah, there's some overlap. Yeah. We, we, we have uh, a number of years between these two books, but uh, mm-hmm. I took Amazing Spider-Man number 103. From December of 1971, it has a 20 cent cover price. Nice. Yes, very much so. It is during the era which I kind of find regrettable, where they were putting a boxed image on the cover and having a lot of blank space around it, or just you know non-art space around mm-hmm. it. Uh, the cover is by Gil Kane, and it is definitely atypical. Uh, you have Spider-Man swinging with a bikini-clad Gwen Stacy in his arms uh, in the Savage Land. There's a giant uh, scaly creature uh, called Gog, and we see his head and his giant hand. His head is about as as well, as tall as Spider-Man's whole body mm-hmm. is. Kazar uh, is at at ground level with a spear in his hand, rearing back to toss it at the uh, creature and then uh, down at the lower right hand uh, lower left hand corner rather we have uh, Zabu who's uh, or just his head uh, who's I guess roaring at the moment the cover is by Gil Kane uh, and anybody who is familiar with Gil Kane would have been able to pick that out from a mile away yeah. to be honest yeah. with you uh, and it, it as I said it's kind of atypical but I still I mean, you're even, think it's you're good even, you're even looking straight up the monster's nose I mean, you have to have at least one of those in every Gil Kane shot, right? One up, up no shot. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> hang, hang on for just one, one second. What's, what's that? Hi, Dad's friends. Hello. <laughs> I hope you're recording because we got end of show gold. Yeah, I think that may be the case. I'll have to listen or, to or, it. Or beginning of show gold. <laughs> 
Anyway, so back to the cover. So it's all new and all great, and it's guest starring Kazar and Zabu, the Sabretooth, as if you didn't know he was a Sabretooth. And then it says, Gog, he who walks the savage land. Now, one thing, one thing about having that, that square box sort of as your frame is it does give you the opportunity of going outside of that and making things a little more dynamic. He's swinging past it. The Gog's hand is coming over it. Uh, so uh, Sabretooth is underneath it. So even though you have that frame, it actually gives you uh, you know, an opportunity to go outside that, which may add a little dynamism. It know. it does. I agree with that. I think I think the choice of going with the box is overall regrettable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they did it on basically. I don't know for how long they did it for for at least several months mm-hmm. uh, over the, at this time before they decided to stop doing it. And for the most part, I don't. I feel it it limited the frame rather than expanded. In this one instance, yeah. you point to things that it. You know, Gil Kane right. was able to do that that improved it, it in some it, ways. Yes. And right. and it almost creates, at least with Zabu in the front, it almost creates a little bit more of a depth of field to it. There is. Mm-hmm. But certainly not every artist was capable or chose to sort of take advantage of, of, of that opportunity and just limited themselves to that. Yeah, not everybody was Gil Kane. That's true. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, I and I say that not meaning to be facetious. Uh, you know, he was a great artist, and not only was he a great artist, but he was part of his greatness was that he was able to just put some dynamism to things that other people would do mm-hmm. in in a much more you know static way. I guess would be how I'd say it. Right. Uh, now he had his stock poses that we saw over and over again. Sure. You know, the person being punched and coming, you know, backwards towards the reader, the, you know, the up nose shot that you made mention of, uh, <laughs> you know, th- those, those were very common for him. But despite that, I, I just, you know, pretty much every book he drew, I, I got more pleasure out of it by his, by the fact that he drew it, which is something that I feel like I developed more of an appreciation with as an adult. Mm, yeah. As I a young reader, I didn't appreciate it quite as much. Mm-hmm. Now, if I remember right, you are an art-first guy. I'm a story-first guy. No, you're a story-first guy. Sometimes story-only story guy. guy. Yep. That's right. So now, does the, the story-first aspect of that, does that mean that you care less if the artwork is good? Or does that mean that, you know... It's, it's more that I really can't differentiate very much. It has to be pretty extreme. It has to be almost, you know, Jack Kirby or Bill Sienkiewicz or something really on the fringes for me to make a distinction. As far as, as like to, recognizing as, the artist? Yeah, as, as to who it is. I mean, you guys talk about a pencil and you, you, you can see an uncredited inker on a certain page because of something and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> that, I, completely over my head. Oh, well, well I, and by over your head, I, I'm going to just assume for my own benefit here that you mean you would not have picked that out. Yeah, I, but, I, I, but I think you understand what we're saying. Almost, but I can't see it. I certainly can't see it. Okay, it goes over my eyes. How about that? Well, it, and it, it's it's going to be interesting because when we get to your book, I did have some ink and comments, so we'll, mm, we'll, we'll there get you go. There. <laughs> uh, now, one thing I was talking about with young Mister Spataro. 
And for anybody listening, the conversation with young Mr. Spataro, <laughs> if I deem it appropriate, because I wasn't able to hear what was said on, on both ends, uh, if I deem it appropriate, will be after the uh, closing of the show. If if it's not after the end, that means I listened to it and thought, you know, it, it really didn't add anything for you guys to listen. But we uh, were t- talking about the cover, and I just thought it was, you know, just it, it's such a comic book thing that you either have someone, in this case, like Spider-Man, who is wearing way more clothing than the average American human does, right? He is literally covered head to toe. Mm -hmm. Or you have people wearing way less clothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) than than the average American human does, like uh, Kazar and Gwen in the loincloth and bikini. It's like you had enough clothes to go around. They could have all worn shorts and a T-shirt. You know, they 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 could have cut up Spidey's costume and divvied it up, and everyone could have been equally appropriately covered. <laughs> but it's like only in comics do you get those two extremes. All right, so uh, moving on from the cover, uh, our story, and I stole my synopsis today, by the way. Uh, and I do like to, when I steal it, I like to credit it. I don't want to just take it for no reason. That's very part of my story. Uh. It's from the Marvel Database. So it is written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Gil Kane, inked by Frank Giacoya and Tony Mortellaro. Him I'm not familiar with. Lettered by Artie Simic and edited by Stan Lee. Uh, the book came out in December of 1971, and the title of the story is Walk the Savage Land. As Spider-Man busts up yet another bank robbery, J. Jonah Jameson meets with his fellows at the Daily Bugle to try and find a quick way to bring profits back to the Daily Bugle. When they happen upon a news report about an explorer named Mr. Kalkin, who's traveled to the Savage Land and hear his stories about a strange, gigantic creature out out there, Jameson figures that this is a scoop that the Bugle needs to stay afloat and decides to bring some of his staff to the Savage Land in order to snap pictures of this elusive beast. When Joe calls Peter to secure him for the expedition, Peter instantly agrees as he needs the money. This upsets Gwen, and Peter decides to take her to the bugle with him. When he arrives there, Jameson sees what he has thought was missing from the expedition to begin with, a woman's perspective, and asks Gwen if she'd like to come. In spite of Peter's reservations about the idea, she agrees to come along. Traveling to the Savage Land, the group almost has a disaster when their helicopter almost crashes into a pterodactyl. After exploring around a bit, they come across a statue built by the natives with a giant gong on the front. When Mr. Culkin hits it, it summons the savages who built it. Actually, I think it's Jonah that hits it, not Mr. Culkin. I think the synopsis may be wrong here. (laughs) Plus the creature they worship, the immense alien creature known as Gog. The creature grabs Gwen and leaves. Peter tries to stop the monster, but is swatted away and lands in a nearby river. Gwen is then taken to a man who's adopted the monster. It's none other than Spider-Man's old foe, Craven the Hunter. As Culkin and Jameson go after the monster, they run into Kazar and his saber-toothed tiger, Zabu, and enlist his aid in trying to find Gwen. Meanwhile, Peter has changed into Spider-Man and begins his own search for Gwen as well. After fighting off a giant snake, Spider-Man makes a misstep when he accidentally jumps into some quicksand. And the story is to be continued next issue. Because it's not the 1970s without quicksand. (laughs) 
<laughs> I got to think Roy Thomas was sitting, or Gil Kane, you know, depending on how much Marvel method mm-hmm. you want to put right. in here. They were sitting there watching King Kong and said, why don't we just do this in Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how much more could you, how much more King Kong could this story be? I do appreciate that at one point, I think there is a shout out to King Kong. They I think do there mention is, yes. King Kong and Fay Ray. And so when that happens, he said, okay. What do, they, what do they call it? They 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 hung a lantern on it, right? Yeah, they I, they at least laid the groundwork for it. They didn't slip it a Mickey though. <laughs> they uh, but I mean it's so you know I mean Jonah Jameson is is uh, what's his name Darrow? No, not Darrow. She's Anne Darrow is the uh, he's uh, Carl Denham, and mm-hmm. Gwen Gwen is Anne Darrow, or Faye Ray if you will. Because. Uh, Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Gog is Kong. They, you know, you even have the, uh, you know, they, they have the whole thing where they journey by boat and then helicopter. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, you know, they have the, uh, whatchamacallit, the the giant uh, statue. All right. Okay. I mean, it, there's just so yeah, much I so much Kong here. And because when he finally I, shows I'm up, thinking... he grabs her and leaves. Yeah, exactly. Because the first thing I thought was, you know, I know... Jonah is part of the, you know, part of the cast, but why is he, why would the editor, this makes no sense, he should be home in, in New York, oh, but he has to come to fill the King Kong role, <laughs> then it all, mm-hmm. all of that, that, that weird plot choice. I mean, and made, there's so many things. For, and, and bringing Gwen along, it, you know, both of those are, those are stretches yeah. in or, terms or, of plot even, logic, yeah. unless... Unless you're doing Kong. Yeah. In which but case, he, they're perfect. Even even Jameson basically having a money is no object attitude. <laughs> Where the hell did that come from? Yeah, I, I do not approve of that, for one thing. Yeah, really. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's funny in its own way. And, and I remember reading this as a kid. I, I've said so many times, I first started reading comics uh, or collecting comics for Spider-Man was at 131 was the first issue I got. And then I started, instead of doing the smart thing and trying to get issue number one and two and three, I started to work backwards because mm-hmm. the more recent issues were cheaper. So, you yes. know, it was easier, you know, it, it, it was the quarter bin mentality because it was easier to mm-hmm. fill those holes uh, more quickly. But on the other hand, you know, the, with the increased value, I could have, or the increasing value, I could have gone for those <laughs> earlier issues back then and gotten them for what would amount to a song now. Uh, you know, and I would have, it would have taken, yeah. I would have, I would have yeah. not had the volume, but I would have had much better books. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but, but this yeah, when, when yeah, I got but that's this a one, younger, that's a younger man's game. At this true. point, I want quantity of comics. <laughs> well, I wanted quantity then too. <laughs> And, and that was the mistake. I wanted quantity because I could have yeah, gotten things of gotcha. quality. I've often lamented they were selling original Jack Kirby pages for like forty dollars back then. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, you know the the story is just so many people are so out of character in it that it's it's looking at it it's just not right. You know, Gwen wouldn't agree to go. You know, Jameson wouldn't offer that money. Uh, you know, there's just just things going on here that just make no sense at all. But my whatever it was 12 year old brain when i first acquired this one as a book that was you know really old it was like three years old at the time Whoa. uh you know i i loved this story i read this and i i ate it up 
mm-hmm. and I still and I still enjoy it. And I don't know how much of that is nostalgia and how much of it is that I just kind of accept it for what it is and enjoy it. I'm, it's I'm not also sure. jungle action adventure. Yeah, I mean it's, it's and I it's also fun. happen to love King Kong, so that doesn't work. And uh, Gwen Stacy in a bikini. Now, had, had you read this before, or is this I your first not, experience no. with this? No, this is about as I, I think I've read through, you know, a masterworks or a collection, some of the really early Lee and Ditko Spider-Mans. Mm-hmm. But by the time you get up here into the throughout most of the 70s, that's pretty much a, a blank for me well, in my, terms of my Spider-Man. My total sweet spot on this stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're definitely approaching it for different angles. And so, therefore, it becomes interesting to me to know from your angle, what did you think of this? There was a lot of cool stuff. I liked I liked the real world stuff. I like that the explorer from the beginning is on the Dick Cavett show and he's referencing being on Johnny Carson the next night. I mean that is such a Marvel Comics move. Yeah, the only you thing know, I that, don't like that, about that, that is real that real life dates it. that real life. It it does. But at this point, you know, it dates it sort of in a nostalgic fun way. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. And and since I, I get more bothered when they reference actual dates than when they do referencing the pop culture of the period. Right. So it it didn't it doesn't bother me that much, but I would rather they steered clear of it. Yeah, there is a fine line between grounding your work and dating your work. Yes, exactly. You know. Now, what did, what did you think of the Gil Kane artwork inside the book? Uh, there were, I mean, again, by by reputation, there are a couple of straight up the nose shots. Oh, the, yeah, he he went up the nose wild in this book. It's it's pretty crazy. My, fa- uh, my favorite I... one being when the savages are all attacking, and there's one panel which runs the width of the page. Uh, and oh, it's, of everybody. Yeah, and it's got all the, the well, it's got all the uh, the the creatures, the the savages oh, okay. attacking. But there's one who's closest to the camera, so to speak, and it's a pure up your nose shot, like he's oh, leaning yes, backwards I to gotcha. let you see that. <laughs> well, my 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 favorite, since we're mentioning it, is the bottom of page three of the uh, of the comic story is uh, Jay Jonah. Yeah, that's a good one. He's got a Jimmy Durante going there. <laughs> but it's certainly, I mean, it's certainly, you know, dynamic art. And, you know, to me, one of the things I like to see is everybody looking different. Mm-hmm. And everybody looks different. You know, you've got the sort of the editorial staff that JJJ has, has gathered around for this meeting. And everybody's got different hair and different faces, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And that, and to me, that's some of where you see the real skill. Yeah, you know, I agree. Of, it's it's of not of just all stock pictures of you mm-hmm. know, the same face. So I, I agree with you there. Uh, I, I just, I, I think this is really good, Gil Kane. Uh, I just, I, I love the way everybody's, and Gwen looks like totally different from the way I'm used to her looking, but also totally sexy. <laughs> So, I guess you have no opinion on that. <laughs> no comment. Uh, but if you if you are invited, uh, you know, to on a, on a work assignment 
by your boss and your wife or girlfriend comes along and your boss happens to be the one to supply the bikini. And high heels. Um, hmm. Hello, 1971. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is a J Jonah's a hashtag me too move, uh, moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I can understand the discomfort that when I, when I talk about how good she looks in it, I'm, I mean, I'm even talking about like the facial shots of her. Oh not yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. She, she just looks very cute. You know, I, I yeah. think she looks very pretty in this. And, and, and again, she has very expressive eyes giving a lot of different facial expressions. Also, out of character, I'm just thinking, you know, Peter's carrying a gun. <laughs> really? Yeah. Just just so much stuff going on, you know. Then uh, when, when Gog appears and he swats Peter away, that's the – a small version because usually it will almost be a splash page. Uh, but th- that's a small version of the Gil Kane, somebody getting punched and thrown towards the reader. Right. That's, that's right. one of his stock shots. But the shot of, I guess it's the, one of the full page splashes. Uh, I'm looking at page 16 of the of the comic, where we've got uh, his Gog's real arrival on the scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the one of the things I like is that I mean it talks about him speaking in a tongue that no one could ever decipher, and then the language of the um, you know, of the word balloon or of the, of what he's saying is in a, you know, completely foreign alphabet. I thought that, foreign, that was a cool touch. A foreign alphabet that was, and a foreign font. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it, 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 it looks like nothing, nothing you'd recognize. That's you a could nice tell it's subtle some, touch. It's some form of writing. You could tell that's, that's about exactly, exactly. Uh, and it is alien. And the thing that jumped out at me is who created Gog's tunic and his wristbands. <laughs> a really big seamstress and yeah <laughs> good points good points you know but in that but on on that same page the the you know the terror you know the the, the falling away that mm-hmm. Gwen and, and Peter do, it's just, it's really a, a really nice full page splash yeah i agree i agree it definitely kind of gives you a king kong moment Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then he, he swats Peter away and he grabs Gwen and takes her. Mm-hmm. And, and then, that was oh, I mean if it you know, I was starting to to to, 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 to you know click in and you know they had mentioned the King Kong. Uh, they, that that had been dropped, but when he sweeps up Gwen, it's like, Oh okay. The light bulb may have come on earlier for you. But uh, that's when it, okay, I see what they're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to give uh, I got to give JJJ credit because in 1971 he's predicting the end of the newspaper business yeah. because of the speed of TV. Yeah, I, I how I quick that how too. quick TV can deliver. Said, like, wow, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, he didn't realize it was going to take the internet to put them out of business. Exactly, exactly. But he they, was uh, rapidly headed there. I mean, he was foreseeing CNN and 24-hour news cycles and all of that, that's for sure. I'm also not in love with Peter. You can tell me if this was uh, if this was common. Um, I don't mind him calling Gwen Gwendy. That's kind of weird, but Gwen, Gwendy, and Gwendolyn? 
they have to call refer to us all three names. I I didn't like that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I had never heard either of those. I mean, I, okay, when he says it, okay, your name's Gwendolyn. I can see that, but I'd never heard her called Gwendy before. I I have because I've read these books yeah. regularly, mm-hmm. uh, but I find. Most people I know, including myself, when they have a significant other, they fall into the habit of calling them the same thing all the time. There right. isn't the various things. Like, you must walk around and you must say, you know, Mrs. Corbin, what are you doing? <laughs> never. Mrs. Q. Mrs. QB. See, never. Never. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, one one weird, just out of, out of context moment. Uh, it's at the bottom of of page eight when you know they're talking talking Gwen into coming along, mm-hmm. and it's just a panel of blonde Gwen saying it's a okay, Mister J. Mm-hmm. That's I'm one of the ones where I thought she also looked really cute, though. Yeah, I'm thinking that's Harley Quinn, 25 yeah, oh. years. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I didn't I'm, think I'm of that. sorry. And anytime someone says Mister J. I can't think of anything but Harley Quinn. Very good point. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I, you know what I, I really like is the uh, the shot when the helicopter is uh, is is in the issue with the with the pterodactyl, and in the next panel where you see Gwen, Peter. And two Jonah Jamesons, I guess. No, actually, I guess it's the pilot in Jonah Jameson. Yeah. But just the way that panel is laid out is just very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, the uh, uh, when I'm looking at the PDF, I'm looking at has has everything, including the ads. And so at this point, I do have to say this is towards the end. But I do kind of feel like a failure because we have John B. Hagee's When I Plan to Retire Before 50. Mm. This is the business that made it possible. You see, we, 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 we are career failures, Paul. We are still working. I know. After 50, I don't know. You'd think reading – I mean I, I have an excuse. I didn't read this comic book when I was young, but you did. I know. You had your chance. I read it while I was still young enough to take advantage of this. <laughs> I also should have had the Polaris Nuclear Sub for $7. Well, there you go, too. <laughs> but instead of uh, instead of DuraClean International, you went into what, – what does he do? The, what's it called? The law? I mean, come on. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, some of these ads just make you scratch your head. Uh I, I I don't know what I think anymore about the reveal of of Craven the Hunter. That I'm not in love with. I think you had so much. Uh, the story is packed enough already. It, to me, it just seemed again not having much context. It seemed unnecessary. It does definitely seem unnecessary. I, and I don't. I, I honestly don't know if I like it or not. I need to reread issue 104 and see where it goes. Yeah, see where it goes, but still, yeah. It's been years that, since I've read it. That was that. That was the moment for me. Is uh, mm, yeah, I wasn't sure. Well, I was sure. I didn't like it. <laughs> right. Well, 
Yeah, so, so basically, I'm not sure whether I like it or not. And you know you don't like it, but leave <laughs> the door open to possibly he could win you over. Exactly, exactly. All right. Anything else on this one that you... Uh... Let's see. Again, there are just uh, some really nice language uh, being used. Uh, well, there's uh, one line that talks about the next morning arriving wet and churlish. That, okay. Someone got their thesaurus out and used it well. I'm, <laughs> well that's, I'm, that's... I mean, I like that. I, I like those. I, I, I like those moments of someone occasionally trying to do something a little literary. That, that works for me. I think Stan was big on that, and Roy was kind of mm-hmm. his protege. Exactly. So I could see that being the case. I think, uh, and, when, and when you read comics of this era, you see a lot of that. You see a lot of people speaking in language that you don't hear in normal conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there was a time when we, we got that more in movies, and then you know you had your people in comics and in movies who have become famous over the years for their ability to put together dialogue. You know, like Brian Michael Bendis in comics or Quentin Tarantino in, in the movies. And and just put, you know, the, the way, you know, that's one of their uh, strong points and, you know, when people right. review their stuff. But I do think, you know, I do think that they tried to be a little bit more highbrow uh, in an effort to com- combat the thought that comics were just for children. Right. Yeah. And I think they, they really made an effort to put in extra, you know, extra flowery language. Again, things that people wouldn't normally say in, in normal life. And, and it, <laughs> right. it doesn't, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I have a real problem when they do it with a character who's not supposed to be so bright. You know, when, when you have Victor Von Doom speaking in a, in a way where it's, it's sophisticated and it's using language the average person doesn't use, that's believable to me. But when you have, you know, uh, I'm just trying to think, you know, Ox from the, uh, from, from the, <laughs> right. what's call it, from, I can't even think, from the Enforcers, who's supposed to be, you know, very, very slow-witted, and every once in a while there's a word in his dialogue where it's like, he wouldn't even know what that word means. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And I, and I don't know specifically if there's any example of Ox doing that. So if anybody says, <laughs> no, no, Ox always speaks stupidly, then, you know, that's good. It's an but, example. It's yeah, an example. It's a hypothetical example. <laughs> so I guess that's about it for Amazing Spider-Man 103. And unless you have anything else, we could rate this. Let's do it. Okay. As I said, I think the cover is a very atypical scene. Uh which is, I think, one of Gil Kane's strengths in general. I think a lot of his covers were atypical for the time. And you see it, we, we, you know, we did a couple of episodes where we were reviewing the covers for a, a given year or, or oh, books right. for a mm-hmm. given year and, mm-hmm. and talking about the covers. And we were amazed at just how many covers Gil Kane did for Marvel in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason for it because he didn't, he wasn't really a poster art type artist. He was more storytelling, dynamic right. pose artist. Uh, so you would think, you know, that wouldn't necessarily translate to the covers, at least the storytelling aspect of it. But it does. I think this cover works, despite the fact that it's not really the, a normal pose, and despite the fact that it's the box instead of uh, a full cover. 
so I'm going to give it a B plus. I think it's it's high quality. It's not quite an A, but it's I think it's solid. Uh, the interior art I think is really good. There's a point, couple of points where I just feel like the inking is a little too dark on it, and I'm not going to mm -hmm. go too much into the inking. Uh, like they could have just had a lighter touch with some of it. Uh, but overall, I, I really like it. Uh, I'm going to go with the same B plus on the interior art. And the story depends on how much you're willing to accept the King Kong parody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, like I said, when I first read it, I was in hook, line, and sinker. Now I'm more of a, I get a kick out of it and I'm nostalgic about it. But either way, I've enjoyed it. So I'm going to give the story a, I'm going to be a little harsher on it. I'm going to give it a B minus. I'm going to say it's above average, but not not terribly much over above average but i got a kick out of it and i think you know i just the, I'm, I'm knocking it down a little bit because i think there's a big your mileage may vary aspect to it uh sure, sure. so I'm, I'm gonna give the book overall a b i am uh, on very similar wavelength on the cover i like the scale because you have three humans and they're all drawn at about the same size and then you've got this huge being and you know you have a gog with his big teeth and his big grasping hand and that all worked i mean you could he definitely appeared that much larger than everyone else so that uh, that scale worked and uh gwen is in a bikini so that helps anyway uh, it's dramatic and it's energetic and when i pulled this up i thought this is going to be a fun issue to read so that's a B plus in 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 my mind. Uh, art again for me, I'd say there wasn't necessarily a lot that particularly stood out to me, either good or bad. But again, understand that for me, nothing standing out is usually a good thing. In 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 terms of the art, and it is Gil Kane, man with an obvious, obviously a long and distinguished comic book career. So I think the art's a B. Uh, the story, the, the the future of journalism, right there. That 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 was impressive. Uh, some of the individual, again, lines, some of the the script, the actual lines, I thought were strong. Adding Craven, it just seems like an addition that wasn't necessary. At least just looking at this part of the story. Um, and again, it didn't make any sense for JJJ to go on the tr on the trip, or even for Gwen, until you lay on the um, all of the all of the King Kong stuff, which you explained even more of uh, than you know. I I was just getting the the very basics of it. So the but again, sort sort of like you, do you look at it? How much do they have to stretch the story and stretch the characters to get that homage? And 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 how do you balance that up? But but for me the good parts were better than the not as good parts. So that that's a B B overall. Scripting was good, and again there were enough little bits of the enjoyable dialogue or the situations to carry me through. You never know what you're going to get when you pick up any book from the 70s. But this true. was good. This was solid. Fair enough. I agree. I think we pretty much agree. Mm-hmm. And that said, let's move on to our next book. We have from DC Comics, uh, 
Wonder Woman, 294, cover dated August 1982, for a cover price of, here's some inflation for you, 60 cents. Ooh. That's three. We could have gotten three Spider-Man 103s just 11 years earlier. And yes, I did nab the one I'm looking at uh, for the very nice price of 25 cents. And there is a secret to getting Bronze Age Wonder Woman issues for cheap. And that is you have to be willing to accept books that are in certain condition. Um, you know, Paul, uh, Scott Gardner has a phrase for that. That would be whip to shit. That pretty much. That is pretty much the only way to get a Bronze Age Wonder Woman for cheap. Uh, the one I'm looking at is a stripped comic. It's what I call them. That those those top couple of inches of the title, you know, the, the title page are gone, mm-hmm. which I assume was returned to the distributor for credit after which this comic, of course, under the contract was completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Completely pulped. Hey, wait a minute. And, it, and, it, and how it am I? Constituted itself. <laughs> uh, can I have a sidebar, yeah. counselor? It had, it, um, it had a, uh, a healing uh, factor. I'm just curious what the statute of limitations is for receiving stolen property. I mean, I'm asking for a friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never found a Wonder Woman from this era in decent condition at what for me is a decent price. Um, you got some low print runs, which is something I'll actually try to come back to later. Um, and I think the fact that people who are Wonder Woman collectors just don't let theirs go. Um, there's just not a lot of these on, on the open market. Anyway, the uh, on the cover by Gil Kane and Frank Giacoya, or at least the 75% of the cover that I have, we see Wonder Woman blocking what appear to be missiles with her bracelets. And I thought maybe they're being fired from the helicopter up in the sky, but they are in fact being thrown at her by Blockbuster. And a lot of army dudes are crouched by watching. And we are told, beware the Blockbuster. And uh, I went online and saw that the rest of the cover the entire cover actually says, take some advice from Batman, Amazon, beware the Blockbuster. Because Blockbuster originally, I guess classically, is a, is a Batman villain. Isn't every DC uh, villain? <laughs> Eventually. Uh, most of the good ones are. Even, even Lex Luthor was co-opted by, uh, <laughs> by Batman and Batman v Superman. There you go. There you go. Uh, so what, what do you think of the cover? Uh, quite frankly, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's 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 again. You know, we're talking Gil Kane again, uh, but I don't I don't think this is Gil Kane at his mm-hmm. at his best. I think this this looks like something he rushed. First of all, uh, I don't like the angle Wonder Woman is shown at. Uh, the the fact that Blockbuster is throwing these things doesn't look especially. He looks good, but the the missiles don't look especially threatening. They look and, to and, be about two feet apart from each other. They they look like I mean, those he, things they if, used to sell in the in the the shops. You know those those missiles, not mm-hmm. missiles, but those you know those rockets that you could buy. Uh, they don't look threatening, and yeah, they do look like they're very I mean, close if, to if each other. If he took one step closer, he could just punch her, not have to throw these bizarre little mini torpedo rocket things at her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I I, I don't get that. 
I don't think she's well drawn. I think he's fairly well drawn. I don't think she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the background isn't bad. The helicopter, the missile, the uh, rocket ship, and all of that—that that, that doesn't look bad to me. I mean, there's one silly thing I like, and that I like that there's a blue sky, because that doesn't always happen in comics. Mm. You, you know, where the background color is is sometimes there just as an artistic device. You know, they pick a color that works, but at least you have a realistic blue sky. I I do like some of the other colors that work well. You got yellows and grays and whites and reds, but if if the things that you notice that are really good about the cover are the colors that may lead you to think the rest of the cover isn't all that good. Well, I go... <laughs> like like if that if 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 that's the main highlight. Yeah, I mean I, I agree with you there. Uh, but there have been a fair number of covers where the color was enough to t- to detract from it. Right. There you, that's true. That's true. So if the color can detract from it, I guess the color can add to it as well. It's just a less common thing to notice. Yeah. But again, my, my I guess my biggest criticism of this is the way Wonder Woman is drawn. I just don't like it. Yeah. I don't like her position. I don't like the, you know, for the purposes of this cover, I just don't think it looks good. Yeah. It doesn't look yeah. dynamic to me. And mm-hmm. that is that is something that I don't usually say about Gil Kane covers. And, and and we don't necessarily always do a, a straight compare and contrast on bins, but if you look at Spider-Man 103, the scale worked, the dynamism worked, the colors worked. Mm-hmm. And this one, again, the, the, the scale is, is very wonky because I, I mean, she looks a little bit bigger than him, so she's in front. But again, they... At the same time, they look very close to each other. There's just something you said about the positioning and the angles. Yeah, that's, the, the perspective that, that's is just not right. He's supposed to be huge. Yeah, it's right, not like he's right. supposed to be a smallish man. Right. So I think, it's hard I think to... as drawn, he's supposed to be further away than it actually appears, and that's something that I guess Gilkane did not properly yep. lay out in this cover. Yeah, because then, but when, but if you look like towards the bottom, where his hand is. His hand is grabbing some rubble, and that rubble appears to be, you know, one piece of rubble away from where she's standing. Mm-hmm. You know, again, so there's just there's something in that I I, I don't have the vocabulary uh, to express it, but there's something there not working. Yeah, for scale and perspective. I think he either, he he either needed to draw Blockbuster a good three quarters of an inch bigger. Mm-hmm. Or he needed to have the cover be about another six inches wide so that he could separate them more. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Mm. So uh, on the inside, uh, this is Rampage, plotted by Roy Thomas, scripted by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Gene Colan, and inked by Frank McLaughlin. Wonder Woman is in her robot plane, flying high above the nation's capital. And she's thinking about Steve Trevor until her attention is drawn to the roads below where a truck is skidding and jackknifing on the highway. She rescues the truck and the trucker who seems a little just wonky Mm -hmm. and seems a little bit guilty, she thinks. Wonder Woman learns that the driver had been playing the Commander video game while driving. That's akin to texting. (laughs) 
It's amazing how these two comics have predicted what we're dealing with now. That is actually... I I laughed out loud when I made that connection myself. Uh, He he, he just couldn't stop playing the thing. Uh, Diana flies away, missing the peace and sanity of Paradise Island. Playing video games while driving, now I'm certain I've seen everything. Just wait. Just wait till you hear of Pokemon Go. Enough, enough. But, but, you know, she's, she's from Paradise Island, a woman, uh, an island of Amazon women. She's come to the band's world. She flies an invisible plane, has, a, has a, a lasso that forces people to tell the truth. It's unbreakable. But somebody playing the video game while driving, that's the thing that, that's, you know, well, now I've seen everything. <laughs> okay. Look, maybe she's a little dramatic. Okay, that's mm-hmm. all. That's all I'm saying. I mean, hyperbole much? <laughs> so she does land a few miles away in the brick-lined street in fashionable Georgetown after magic lassoing herself back into Diana Prince's clothes. She walks in on a surprise party for her because it's her birthday, or at least it's the fake one she gave the U.S. Army. Meanwhile, in Black Rock, West Virginia, the video game finds its way into the hands of Blockbuster, who is currently staying with with the Macon family here in Coal Country. When Mr. Macon tries to take the game away, Blockbuster angrily slaps at him, resorting to savagery for the first time since meeting the Macons, and he smashes out of their house and escapes. Back in D.C., the birthday party is going well, and General Darnell gives Diana her present, the new Commander video game. Steve is pretty excited by this. He's about to try the game, to hook it up to her TV, but they hear news that Blockbuster is attacking missile silos in the Appalachians. Diana secretly switches to Wonder Woman, flies the robot plane, to that area and battles Blockbuster for a number of pages, using some tips and tricks that she learned from Batman about uh, dealing with the big guy. But he is pretty hard to take down, and one of the military men on the scene offers to use his missile guns, but she refuses. If it takes force to stop him, then by Hera, she'll stop him. Anyway, she has to. Nothing seems to calm the big man down, until little Carrie Macon approaches him and gives him the video game, which calms him down. Wonder Woman allows Blockbuster to go back home with the Macons, and here we learn that Mr. Macon had helped the truck driver get out of the mud, and he gave the Macons the game in return for their help. The game now has no batteries, but that doesn't keep Blockbuster from playing with it. Back at the Pentagon, Wonder Woman tells Steve that there is something sinister about that Commander video game. But even as Wonder Woman leaves, Steve Trevor's hands dart for his desk drawer, and eyes glazed, he begins to play. Next issue, Video Madness, the end. Mm-hmm. It was very funny when I... I read this one first. Obviously, this was mine. So I read this one. Thought, oh, that's that's funny. You know, they're making a comment about something that's going to be, you know, twenty five, thirty years from now. 
you know, being glued to your screen and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I you read the Spider-Man. There was concerns back in 1982 about video yeah. games with young people already. Mm-hmm. And then you read the Spider-Man one, and you got Jay Jonah predicting, you know, the rise of cable news in 30 years. I mean, very strange. Like you said, very strange, <laughs> the predictive power of these books. Yes, absolutely. And and I just think, I think that's great. Uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, I wasn't that crazy about this one, though. I don't know how you how you felt about it, but I just felt the story was, uh, you know, I, I like the commentary on on the video games and all of that, but uh, it felt a little predictable in some spots. It's, you know, the 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 kid coming with the game to calm him down just seems a little cliche, mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't think I would ever use these words together in a sentence. But I really don't care for the Gene Colan art in this book. Yeah. This this yeah. is uh, offhand. This is the worst Gene Colan art I can think of. Mm. Uh, you know, I, a couple, couple of. I'm sorry. You have something? So yeah, I thought that uh, the scenes at the beginning, sort of the windswept truck scene. I think that sort of worked. Some of the the small town Appalachian stuff. I mean, he's not. He's not I, but yes, but yes, Looking uh, it's at it, not I necessarily sus- the right fit of character. I suspect and, and that, uh, that Colin may have done some very loose artwork, very loose pencil ah, work. Okay. And that's, that's what, you know, we mentioned earlier that I was going to say something, mm-hmm. about, something about the inking. And I think Frank McLaughlin may have been picking up the ball and running with it a lot gotcha. because yeah. Colin may not have given him the detail that he needed. But a lot of the faces look not quite right to me. Mm, okay. uh, then you you know you have stuff like on you know on the first page where where you have the uh, the you know, on the splash the shadow on Wonder Woman's face is done with like lines, uh, which almost makes it look incomplete to me. I mean I've seen that effect mm, before mm-hmm. used used effectively, but I don't like the way it looks on that page. Uh, some of the action sequences with the truck and everything look fine, but. Again, the faces don't look good to me, and I'm thinking again that that may have been McLaughlin more than anything. Right. Uh, the scene when when uh, well, first just you know going into the scene with Blockbuster at the house, uh, his face looks bad in some of the shots. Uh, looking at, the, at that page on the upper right, uh, it's page number eight in the story. Uh, the uh, Mister Macon looks like oh, yeah. Al Molinero to me. Uh, and and on the bottom right one, Blockbuster looks like Don Imus to me. Oh yeah, okay. I do uh, see that. Then then he he bursts out of the house, and apparently all perspective has gone mad because he's almost as tall as the house. I was going to say he is as big as the house. Yes. Wow. Then we go down to the bottom right on that page, and uh, whoever that is, I, I don't remember what, which character that is, but he looks like Geppetto. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the landlord. The, the faces are, just seem to be to be very inconsistent, not and the detail in them is is weak at times. Uh, the backgrounds seem to be lacking a little bit, and even there's the splash page of the fight where she's punching uh, Blockbuster into the stomach. There's uh, a lot missing in that page. Yeah, it's just it lacks so much detail. I suspect if you know we we did this on one of the Avengers spotlights where there was a full page splash, and I did not like the way it looked. And we found online, we found the same page, the uh, the raw pencils for it. Mm-hmm. And it looked so much better in the raw pencils than it did when it was inked. 
and I suspect mm -hmm. that might be possible here as well. And I'm not sure I love that sound effect. Spam? <laughs> what I find, is that? I find that when I punch anybody in the stomach, it makes the sound spam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's obviously supposed to be, I mean, it's supposed to be the hero shot, right? That's supposed to be the dramatic best piece of art in the in the book, and there's so much lacking. I'm mm -hmm. not even sure of the scale. Yeah. There, I mean, I know he's, I know he's big, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's it's there's the the art in this book. So, yeah, you go from that page to the next one. Uh, look at the close up of Blockbuster's face when he after he holds back his punch. Oh yeah. What the hell happened to him there? Why why the long face, Blockbuster? <laughs> You know, and, and then, you know, we go on to the last page, uh, and Steve Trevor's face looks bad in that last panel. Yeah. I, I mean, I know yeah. he's supposed to be eyes glazed, blah, 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 but he just doesn't look good at all. Yeah. Yeah, if it didn't say, and eyes glazed in the narration, that's not what you'd come up with. No, I it, don't know what that, 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 Yeah, that's not what it looks like, yeah. That's what, what Scott Gardner would call derp face. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, ultimately, I feel like the story, I like that it's giving a commentary on the video games, but I feel like it's done in kind of a cliche way. It's it's I, it's pretty heavy-handed, and, and I assume it probably gets worse next next issue. And, I've and got to a me, feeling. Yeah, I suspect the same thing. To me, you know, I'm shocked to have Gene Colan's artwork be this... Yeah. This unsatisfying for me. Now, bad Gene Colan is still better than some other artists. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still not going to, you know, this isn't getting an F because it's bad Gene Colan. This is probably getting a C plus for me because it's bad Gene Colan. But, you know, it's just I know what Gene Colan is capable of. And it may yeah. be the inking. Like I said, it, it, it definitely looks like it could be that he just gave some rough pencils and then walked away from it. Mm -hmm. Uh and, and that the, you know, the inking was left to be, you know, to add the detail and failed. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd, I had read, I think I'd plucked out at four or five sort of Wonder Woman's from about this era. Mm -hmm. And not in this issue, but one that was, uh, I think, nine issues later, 303. Mm -hmm. in, in that one, there was the annual statement of ownership and circulation. Right. And as I look back and read these old comics, I pour over whenever I see one of those. I'm not going to say I've become obsessed about these reports, but it's close. <laughs> <laughs> and according to that, they were printing only, and, and it, 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 isn't, it sounds like a big number, but it isn't only. They were only printing 240,000 copies of this. And trust me, based on looking at a number of these items, that is a really low number. And in terms of the copies actually sold, you're looking at closer to 90,000, which is tiny for 1981, 82, for a major a major character for, for DC or Marvel. And that's only a sell-through rate of about 40%. Like I said, I spend time looking at these things. Mm -hmm. so, you know, and, and you hear the stories, or I don't think they're stories, but you know, the, you know DC kept – Wonder Woman in print for a long time solely for contractual purposes, that if they stop for a certain period of time, the rights reverted back to the Marstons. 
And I don't know if that's still the case now in 2018. I suspect that DC has bought out that contract Probably. in exchange for a creator rights and a really, really big check. You know, but that was the case. And so, you know, you hear some of the older uh, ed, ed, editors and, and, and uh, creators of the time, they talk about Wonder Woman, and it was a book that they produced because they had to produce it. Right. But, Passion project. But until probably George Perez. I mean, it, 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 it was a book you were assigned to. That's what I said. It, it, it was an assignment book. But and if so you I were think just, even if you were when just you get someone. It because you have to. Would you necessarily put Roy Thomas and Gene Colan on it? Even though I yeah, think this is a subpar effort from them. Yeah, that, that is a, a pretty big team. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, that, yeah, I I I do not understand how they got that talent. Although, again, you got the, you know, knock it out in a week version of Gene Colan, maybe as opposed to the, you know, you have a month to do Tomb of Dracula, Gene Colan, or, or you know whatever it was. Right. So strange. Yeah. And, strange. And, and 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 that is borne out at least, or that is potentially borne out by my theory. That he did very loose pencils here. Yeah, I would. That would not surprise me. You sort of knowing some of that that Wonder Woman publication history, uh, but it, at the same time, it is weird that you actually have some names on it. You know, I, I don't know the so time, it, it, timing it, of the whole thing, but it could be something with it. Like Gene, we need you to do Wonder Woman. You know, don't don't spend a lot of time on it. Bang it out. And if you do that, you know, we'll let you do you know one of your uh, passion projects like exactly the, you yeah. know Night Force or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. That yeah, that you, you, I mean they again, they they called it the one of the assignment books. You, know, you got assigned it, and it, and it it may be a you know give us six months of this, and we'll give you X book that you really want. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who knows? Now, just yeah. a, another artistic thing I noticed here is is it my am I wrong about this, or is the plane drawn especially smallish? I always picture this more or less a full-sized plane, not not you know not a uh, seven forty-seven, right. but one where you'd be able to fit several people if you needed to. Mm, yeah, the, it looks like it barely a, this fits. This is a one her. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only does it you know barely fit her, but she's got to like crouch down to <laughs> to be in it. Yeah. Let me look at this. Yeah, that is strange. The uh, that will give uh, also one, one, one other positive thing, but it might be a telling thing as well about the title, is that in addition to this uh, eighteen-page story, mm-hmm. um, which you know for books at the time, sometimes at least more in the mid to late seventies, sometimes that would be the entire issue, would be seventeen, eighteen pages. But in addition to the 18-page lead story, you do have an eight-page Hunter's backup. So you actually have 26 pages of story out of 32 pages of content. And there's one house ad, which means there's only five actual ad pages, which you know was good as a reader. But again, five pages of ads. Well, no, does, no does one, that no one say, wanted to add. No one wanted to advertise in this book. Yeah, because I, I mean, most more often than not, I felt like the ads that you got in these books were across the line for the month. Yeah, I. I, I but in this instance, it seems I, I like it's know. not. I don't know. I don't. It must not be. It might have been. It might have been. 
it might have been, you know, something where they gave, you know, a certain amount of money and, you know, based on that money, we, you know, you could pick this many books to be in. Right, right. So, again, I think that's you know, evidence of just the low priority that the title had then. And again, sort of with with good reason, just in terms of the of the circumstances. So it's a it's a weird um, it's just a weird uh, situation all around. Though I do say I do like the Hunter's backups. Yeah, I didn't have a chance to read the Hunter's backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do actually just just quickly, you know, sifting through it. I like the artwork in that much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who is that by? Let's see. That's by Joe Staten and Jerry Ordway, yeah. and this is this is somewhat atypical for Joe Staten. His his characters were usually, you know, I I I, I, I loathe to use the word just because it makes it sound like a negative, and it's not. But his characters were kind of simple in the way he drew mm-hmm. them. Uh, I was gonna say blocky. Almost, yeah. I, I yeah. almost felt like there was, you know, you would never mix the two up, but there was. A relation like I, I almost felt like there's almost a Steve Ditko quality to Joe Staten's artwork. Mm-hmm. So you know it, it's it, I don't see that here. So I'm thinking it's the Ordway inking that did that. Right, right. But I do like it. I think it works. Yeah, uh, for me the the backups between the Huntress backups here and the Mister and Mrs. Superman backups. I, I, I love guess those. Were, they were probably in action, I guess, or maybe Superman. Mostly, I think they were mostly in action. I mean, but that gave me. I mean, that was, you know, my, you know, my um, 14, 15, 16, 17, and um, to me, th- those those two in particular, those two series, really to me filled out Earth Two, and and made Earth Two something other than just the place where. The old Flash used to be, and the old Green Lantern used to be. Uh, both the Mister and Missus Superman and and Huntress here did, you know, sort of give uh, just a sort of a, a sense of world building uh, to Earth Two. Um, and I, I specifically remember that, and that was there was a, a nostalgic vibe to finding the the Huntress story mm-hmm. uh, at at the back of some of these. Yeah, I definitely like that, and it, it reminds me of when they did the. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember if it was part of the explosion or implosion. I think it was the implosion, <laughs> where they imploded the number of books, but then they made them thicker. Right, that's right. They went from I guess uh, thirty-two to forty, I think, and added yeah six or seven page backups. Yeah, and then you know you'd have like uh, Mister and Mrs. Superman, you'd have Airwave. <laughs> Uh, Dial H Doctor, for Hero. Doctor Fate was a backup. I think Firestorm was a backup in Flash. You know, they had them lined up so they were consistent with the book, with the main story. That was nice. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I mean, there's definitely a nostalgic feel for that. So I guess we can rate this one now. All right. Uh, well, the cover. Um I like the colors, and if that's the highlight, maybe that's a bit of a problem, as we said. Perspective, strange, see, uh, I guess, see. Uh, the art on the inside, uh, 
the scale there, I think Blockbuster mostly was about the right size compared to Diana's a big hulker. That came across. Um, but like you said, this was, I think, whipped out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, probably a probably a C-ish. Uh, the story, now I'm giving the issue the credit for the backup as well. So I'm giving a say a B to the story and since uh, you know again, I'd like that uh, that sort of what goes around comes around we've got commander video to Pokemon Go to Fortnite you know games games take away our attention so it's like uh, Roy and Marv arrived back here in 1982 after a quick visit to 2018 I think um <laughs> but overall, you know, I, I do weigh story a little bit a little bit heavier, so eh, B minus. But I think I might be being an easy grader. Well, I mean, I always feel like it's uh, such a, a subjective thing that there is no such thing as easy or hard. Uh, well, sorry, sorry. What I meant was three and a half bars of gold pressed platinum. There you go. Uh, I'm gonna a high, say a I, high jaws three. I really, I really do not like the cover. Uh, I'm gonna say a C minus on the cover. I, I just, it's, it's just not for me. Uh, and I'm gonna say the same thing on the interior art. I, I I'm just not seeing it. And I, I, I think, I think our theory that this is a little bit of a rush job is, is mm-hmm. probably the most solid thought about it. And there's a lot of evidence for that. So I, and I'm just reading it on the uh, on on the main story because I didn't read the Huntress one. Uh, the story itself, like I said, I feel like it's a little cliche, but you know, it's got some uh, you know, it's 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 got some some predictive stuff in there that's kind of cool. Uh, you know. I, I don't know. You know, I really didn't read much Wonder Woman in this era, so I, I can't yeah. even speak to the characterizations too much. Uh, overall, I, you know, it was okay to read, so I'm, I'm going to say a C-plus on the story. And overall, I'll give the book a C. There are a lot of times in, in reading DC, usually a little bit later, like 84, 85, but maybe you see a glimpse of it here in Wonder Woman in, in, in 81. But there and I'm a, you know, I'm a DC guy, and again, this, you know, a lot was uh, my era. But there are times looking back, reading books from around this time, and maybe a little later, where you see, man, DC needed to do something desperate. They needed to do something big, and you know, we're a couple years away from Alan Moore and Crisis on Infinite Earths and all that, and and you, you can see they were. They were maybe getting tired as a as a company as a product line, in you know, and maybe Wonder Woman is where that that decline started first. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think with Wonder Woman, and again, I didn't read that much of it, so you got to bear with me because a lot of this is theoretical as opposed to knowledge. Uh, <laughs> But I, I think they, they really just didn't know what to do with the character that much. Yeah. So that's why they went to the, the white jumpsuit Wonder Woman in sure, the late those, 60s, yeah. early 70s. Uh, you know, like, the, it, she she was definitely produced sporadically, or at least somewhat sporadically at the time. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, I, I don't think they really knew exactly what to do with her. And they just kind of, I, I think you're, what you're saying about them producing it to maintain the rights may be right on the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then, like I say, you're three, four, five years away from DC scrapping everything and really doing a real hard reboot on things. And, 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 it's a little early to see that in all the books, but I think you know maybe you do see glimpses of that being being necessary in some of the books as as early as eighty one, eighty two. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know eventually they got the right idea when they decided to go more into the mythology. And, sure, with and, her, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and you know, then you know, give her a foundation in that mythology, and then you could bring her into the real world. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think they really concentrated on that at this point. I, in fact, I'm not sure they concentrated on that ever until, you know, like you said, what was it when Perez got a hold of it? Yeah, I think so. But again, I just have to, you know, you uh, again, this is a certain amount of uh, conjecture that I'm making here because there's a lot of Wonder Woman I never read. <laughs> See, but that's that's one of the things about Back to the Bins and, and to, uh, to pull the curtain back a little bit. Uh, it was about uh, what, 36 hours ago <laughs> that uh, you invited me onto this, mm-hmm. and uh, you know sometimes you have a, 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 a little more warning, and it's fun to sort of specifically go through the stacks and find one that you you really think is going to be good or interesting. I literally said, "Well, what is literally next on the stack that I'm going to read?" Or actually, what the what is the last thing that I read? That was the criteria. And that that was the last thing that I read, so there was no no decision making. No, oh, Paul's gonna love this, or this is something that's gonna be wacky or weird, like the Captain Marvel thing from uh, last time I was on. The guy who could the robot who shot his arms off, and no, that was specifically chosen to be goofy, wacky fun. This was chosen because it was the last thing I'd read. <laughs> mm-hmm. And some sometimes that's what you get. <laughs> yep, and uh, I, I just the same. I think it made for some interesting conversation, and it was an interesting read. So I really don't have a problem with that. <laughs> so, and I appreciate you bringing it. Absolutely, now, it well, is always a, always a pleasure to speak with you, right. whether it's over here in your neighborhood or over in mine. And for anybody listening, uh, if you don't already know, Professor Allen's Neighborhood is the relatively relatively geeky network where uh, you do which shows? Do the Quarterbin podcast and the comics reading journal on my own. And then uh, me and M together, we do Shortbox Showcase. And as we record this, I, again, don't, don't know about the timing, uh, but... We recorded a quarter bin podcast yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, so there's in all likelihood they won't. The two episodes won't be appearing too far from each other, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, give a listen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't even cost you that quarter. Exactly. I mean, if you want to send me a quarter, I mean, whatever. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, thank you for coming on. Thanks for doing this with me. This was fun, and uh, always a pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Hang on for just one one second. What's what's that? Hi, Dad's friends. That's my friend, the economics professor. Who am I talking to? Who do I have the pleasure today? This is Professor Allen. Allen. Hello. Hello there. What are we talking about today? Talking about Spider-Man. Ah, I could talk about Spider-Man. Go ahead. You sound almost like your dad. He just sounds a lot. I like. He. Has a bigger I mean, forehead like than I do, older. and he's a little more ugly. Yeah, I, I can see that. I, can, I know, right? I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what part of Spider Man are we talking about? What does he have pulled up here? We're number 103? 103. Look at that cover. What do you Look think? Look at that cover. So it's a good cover. Crazy thing about, about comic books is he got Spider Man, he is covered head to toe, not a, not a speck of skin showing, right? Mm hmm. And then you got the then you got the bikini girl and you got the loincloth guy. You do. It's... So like, which is it? Which is it? I mean, I, can we can we compromise? I can we pers- just like shorts and a t shirt <laughs> for everybody? It's you know some short shirts and a tank top and maybe I don't know something for the guy. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could they could take Spider Man's costume and split it three <laughs> ways. <laughs> He'll keep the mask. They'll get everything out. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to be wearing something under that, right? That's trick. I, you know, we hope. We all hope. Because when he, it, you know, he, he runs out the bugle. He's got to be wearing something underneath. He doesn't just throw it away and change it to his... I mean, I guess he does, and he webs his backpack somewhere with his clothes. Hmm. It's a tricky one. That's a tricky, it's a tricky one. That's, that's a question for the ages. <laughs> All right, I'll let you go. He's back. <laughs> Good to meet you, young Spataro. Nice to meet you. There you go. That's Professor Allen. He can answer all things economic. Oh, my. So, it's good that you make friends with him. <laughs> I'm going to send you... I'm sending you to Ohio do tomorrow. Think, do you think Spider-Man wears something underneath his suit? Speedo. You think he just wears a Speedo? Yeah. <laughs>